thing. I uh, enjoyed uh, looking in on the service. I was uh, over the last, uh, well, since you've been doing things on Zoom, and we uh, had a chance, a couple of chances to be there at JB. We visited Craig and Angie a couple of times over the last, how many years has it been? I don't know, 12, 15 years. And we really enjoyed visiting uh, IBCBI. Uh, we did not get to stay long, did not get to spend a lot of time with you, but what little time we did, we it, it's really been a joy uh, to know you and, and meet you over the years. I uh, wish we had a chance to uh, get to know more people and spend more time with you, but really appreciate the opportunity to share God's word and what's on my heart tonight from Hebrews. Thank you so much for the opportunity. We send you uh, heartfelt greetings and warm regards from Glasgow, Kentucky, from four or five inches of snow. And if you want me later on, I can explain what snow is to you Malaysians uh, a little later. Um, so we're going to be looking at Hebrews tonight and actually a, a few of the verses beforehand, uh, before Hebrews chapter 11 and a few in chapter 12, just for context. But before I begin, I just want to try to encourage you from this word from Hebrews to not draw back, to not shrink back from whatever persecution or hardship or difficulties that you're going through. That's cer certainly something that's going on with the Hebrew church and that we see that is going on at the end of chapter 10. I, I got a chance to listen from a couple of weeks ago with the brother from Scotland who preached so well from Hebrews chapter 10, and we want to kind of over, overlap a little bit with what he was talking about. And I want to encourage you, uh, based on that, to uh, not draw back and to uh, uh, actually look forward to the day that Jesus is coming back and let that encourage you to run the race that God has set before you and to be inspired and encouraged by Jesus coming back and uh, that you would run the race well there in Malaysia. Look to Jesus as the coming one as we actually go back and look at chapter 10, verse 37. I'll read a little bit from there as the Hebrew church was going through persecution of various kinds. It doesn't look like they were necessarily being threatened with their lives or people were not necessarily being killed, but he specifically uh, went into earlier in this chapter, chapter 10, that their property was being confiscated and uh, that they were struggling and suff suffering in very serious ways. But beginning in chapter 10, verse 37, for in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. That's Jesus referred to as the coming one. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and obtain life. So Jesus here is referred to the coming one, and that's an interesting way to put it. The coming one will come, according to my translation here from the Holman Christian Standard. The coming one will come. Kind of a, maybe an odd way to put it. But that's what Jesus does. That's a very integral a part to who he is and in, in, in his nature that he is the coming one 
It's a way that we're always supposed to look at and think of and understand Jesus. And coming is something that's happening now. It's not like he's going to come. He's going to get around to coming. He is coming now. So when, as we look to the second coming of Jesus, we, we need to understand not only is it something that's going to happen in the future, whether it be the near future or the distant future, it's something that affects us now and gives us energy now to endure whatever we are going through, whatever hardships, struggles we have. Jesus coming back is something that affects us now and that we can draw upon now. So what are you going through there? We're all, it's an amazing thing that we're all going through this global pandemic. It's something I couldn't have imagined, any of us could imagine five years ago, much less 15, 20 years ago, that there would be a global pandemic that everyone on the whole earth would be threatened by and would suffer from so much. So we're going through that. Uh, are, are you going through any other persecution, hardship, um, things from the government? Uh, you have a different kind of government and relationship with them now that we do in America. But here in the U.S., the government and politics is, is a thing that we are struggling through. We have never been more divided in, as a country that you may have heard of Americans. It really is true. We are, except for the time that we had a civil war back in the 1800s, but some people um, speculate that that could happen again. I don't think it could. I don't think it's that bad. But it is bad here politically in America. And we can see that there could be persecution from that. It's certainly a struggle now for the church in dealing with the political struggles that we're going through in America. More people than I ever imagined, uh, evangelical believers here in the United States, strongly supported, uh, who in my opinion is a, a very uh, corrupt, uh, bad person uh, while he was in office. And that's caused a lot of division uh, in the church. Many, uh, particularly Southern Baptist, uh, actually uh, supported him, and that's causing a lot of division, a lot of struggle. The church, uh, the evangelical church, I th think is uh, struggling, many of us at least, by the, the fall, uh, I would call it the fall, uh, the uh, discovery of a terrible uh, sinful life that a prominent evangelical leader lived, and I'm, I'll not say his name, any of you probably know who I'm talking about. Um, it's a great struggle to know that this man who was a tremendous leader and a, had a tremendous impact on my life, and I know he actually had an impact on Craig's life, as uh, a great Christian intellectual and apologist, uh, and preached the gospel for many years boldly and had an, an international ministry, very impressive and had seemed to, to have a very impressive uh, relationship with God, and yet to find out that he did atrocious things as far as sexual sin and keep, kept it hidden to his grave till he died of uh, cancer last year. He never confessed it, and it was discovered as, and has been verified. That's had a tremendous impact on a lot of people. Could persecution come from that? His testimony has been ruined 
Uh, and uh, many people will use things like that to say, uh, why should we believe what you Christians teach us? Yes, I came close to believing that, but now that I hear that you, even you Christians, uh, do things like this, why should we pay any attention to you? Things like that we're going to have to struggle through, and that could in some way lead to persecution or at least being outcast in many ways. We don't know what the future is, but we have things that we are struggling through. But my encouragement to you through this in Hebrews, as we will get to it, is to not draw back, but to press on and to run the race and for your uh, faith to uh, get you through with, uh, with more strength and with uh, more energy as you look ahead, not only to Jesus coming back, but let the reality of that, the hope for Jesus's return affect you now, because that is what the kingdom of God is about. That's a very important thing that when, when I teach and study anything in, in the Bible, it always comes around to the kingdom of God is not just something that's coming someday. It's near. And that really means it's something that we can turn into and enter now. The kingdom of God, the realm in which God is in control. That is the kingdom of God. And it's something, a reality that you can walk in and uh, partake in now. The, the, the way that uh, God has a plan for the world and the way that he wants to use you in it. Let that energize you as we look at Hebrews 11. And I'm not going to be able to read the whole chapter. I think it would take a really a lot, a lot of time. It's very long. And to be honest, tedious, uh, as far as a very, as much of Hebrews is very difficult to interpret, uh, and to understand, but I think that we can get a grasp on it. If we read parts of it from Hebrews chapter 11, as we've just looked at some, uh, background going back to chapter uh, 10, uh, where the writer of Hebrews is urging them not to draw back, not to fade away because of the persecution that they have had to endure, but, uh, but to have faith and to live the abundant life in Christ through your faith. So this uh, chapter 11 is often called the faith chapter because it emphasizes faith and the uh, great cloud of witnesses who inspire us by their faithful witness. Uh, and uh, we'll look at uh, at least the first couple of verses and comment a little bit about those. And then uh, look at the whole chapter uh, in kind of a snapshot. So let's begin in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Or it could, your translation might say something like, faith is the assurance of what is hoped for, or the conviction of what is not seen. For by it, our ancestors were approved. So we really want to get into the nuts and bolts uh, really understand what faith is. This has been something that I've really tried in my uh, studies and in my time with the Lord to really uh, understand faith. I'm kind of a philosopher. That's why I studied formerly in seminary. Um, so I try to look philosophically uh, and, of course, biblically at what faith really is. And some people say 
that what we just read here is a definition of faith. It may not necessarily be a formal definition, but it certainly gets into how faith uh, is, uh, how it can move and have an impact in our lives. Faith is, uh, let me go ahead and, that's the only thing I have to put on the screen if this will work. Uh, let's see if that's, this will go on here. It's actually facing the wrong way here. Do you see, I guess, hopefully you can see that okay. Um, faith is, this is according, this is a definition that I have that I think is you take the Bible as a whole, that this is how we can understand what faith is. This is what the Bible as a whole teaches us what faith is. Faith is being confident that God will fulfill his promises to his people. Faith is being confident that God will fulfill his promises to his people. And we need to see uh, faith as when we really exercise it, it's engaging in something that is not seen because so much of what we see in life so much of what we do in life is based on our senses, particularly our sight. Let me go ahead and just turn that off if, uh, if you have that. Uh, see, I think I'm back here. So faith is actually uh, living in an unseen realm, living in, in the kingdom of God that we can't detect necessarily with our eyes. It's really the juxtaposition of what we see in First John uh, about the uh, lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life being uh, what sin is about uh, as far as the, uh, the things in the world that detract us from living in the kingdom of God. So. So much of what we do has to be validated by our sight. That's part of our fleshly nature. But that's not what faith is. It is living and walking on what we cannot see. And that's what these ancestors of ours prove to us. And there's this great cloud of witnesses, a cloud meaning it's, it's so many that it just, they surround us as we run our race, surround us to encourage us as we go through our race. These are people who live by faith and not by sight. Can we allow this to inspire us to move through our persecutions and our difficulties? So that's what we will look through in verse three. We'll go ahead and read, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. So the writer of Hebrews, before he talks about these cloud of witnesses, he goes back to the very creative act itself, the initial creation in Genesis, and uh, all that is made is made from something that is not seen. What All that is created comes ultimately from the word of God. All that's been created comes from him uttering his word let it be, and it was, and that's from uh, Genesis. 
so much of I like to study science quite a bit because it actually helps me in my understanding. Uh, and it's just encouraging me to learn uh, if you understand science from a Christian worldview. So much about what is going on in physics today. It's really it, almost entertaining the way scientists are so confounded by what they're discovering, especially in physics and especially quantum physics. And don't worry, I'm not gonna to try to explain or talk about quantum physics because anybody who says they can explain quantum physics really doesn't understand quantum physics. But when you get into it and you read this stuff, you start to understand how phys physic, uh, physicists are confounded by what they discover. Basically what they're learning is that the, the universe in a physical understanding does not make sense. It just does not make sense the way the laws of nature ultimately work when you really, really break it down and uh, do the experiments that they're able to do today. Um, and the Bible explains that by saying that it ultimately comes from the word and the will of God. Um, through him, everything is made and he upholds and sustains all things. By his word. So that's at the very uh, beginning of this. And then we'll go on and we'll not read uh, all of it, but we'll just kind of summarize what's going on. But, the, but when you have time to read through, and I hope you can, Hebrews chapter 11, understand what these people were doing. They were, they were people of faith and not sight. And how we want to look at how they exercise their faith despite what sight might have tried to get to them to see, if that makes sense. Uh, see the, the, the uh, contrast between faith and what they were used to seeing, and they did not go according to what they were used to seeing. They went according to faith that they could not see, okay? Hopefully that makes sense. It's really important to, to understand that throughout this chapter, when we look at people like Abel in verse four, uh, he went by faith, but he made an offering and it was accepted by God and his brother's Cain's offering was not accepted. What did Abel do in faith and not by sight? He, he'd never really seen an accepted offering before, uh, because God had not given the, uh, requirements for an acceptable sacrifice. God's law had not been given. So Abel, through um, the condition of his heart, uh, it's inferred, uh, was accepted by God. His offering was one that was given by faith and from his heart. Uh, in verse five, it talks about Enoch uh, through uh, through faith and not by sight. We've never seen a man who was just taken up by God and never died. And something that we've never seen, but uh, that's what happened to him by faith. And then it's interjected there, and we will read verse six. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. So, through your uh, persecution, your difficulties, 
your hardships, draw near to God. That said so much in scripture, but how do we do it? And I'm starting to learn that drawing near to God has to do with especially the um, uh, spiritual disciplines by which we can be near God and by which God transforms us and makes, makes us more like him where he changes our character and our very inner being more like him. And therefore we're able to be closer to God. So through the spiritual disciplines, uh, such as worship, uh, Bible reading and Bible study, fellowship with others, uh, learning to love one another in your walk together as a church in the, in the body of Christ. Spiritual disciplines such as prayer and fasting, something that's not emphasized a lot in the American church that I know of, not in my experience, but very important spiritual disciplines that I'm growing to appreciate are uh, uh, silence and solitude. Uh, how can you draw near to God with all of the noise, not only the, not only the audible noise that comes into our, our ears, but the noise that we experience through our technology and the things that we do to occupy ourselves? Just, it is, uh, it may be easier for you in Southeast Asia, but in America, it's practically impossible for anyone to just sit alone in a room and be quiet for an extended period of time and not do anything. Uh, and, and eventually, uh, I mean, even after some, some Bible study to even set your Bible aside and just to be alone and to be quiet for an extended period of time. Uh, and people look at you very oddly when you suggest that maybe they should try that, but you should try that. It's an, it's a great way to draw near to God and to begin to, to sense his presence and to receive direction from him and to sense his, his love. Draw near to him and seek him. Uh, Jesus said in the gospels to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all these other things, these basic necessities of life. Everything else that you need will be added to you. Just seek his kingdom first. Seek him out. Seek how God, out how God is moving. Don't be satisfied until uh, God reveals to you how he is moving in your life and in the world and that you can sense his presence and hear his voice uh, as far as speaking to your soul. Seeking God's kingdom. That's what this uh, and so much of what I study lately and I think God is, is teaching me about has to do with this what we often call the now and not yet reality of the kingdom of God. When we seek his kingdom, uh, as opposed to the way we commonly think about it in the church, is the kingdom of God is something that's going to come someday. Think of it as being near and something that we can turn into and enter uh, the kingdom of God, the realm in which God is in control, in which he reigns, in which he has his way and his plan and power is being carried out in the world. That's his kingdom. Are you living and walking in it? And by doing so, you can get through your, your hardships and your persecution and not draw back, not fade back. Moving on, beginning in verse 7, what did Noah do in his 
uh, in his life that would not be seen. Uh, well, he'd never seen a, a great flood that happened. And uh, what did Abraham do? Much, uh, much of this chapter deals with Abraham, who's often called the father of our faith. And uh, because Abraham did so much by faith without depending on his sight, uh, among the many things that he did is he, he had never seen the land of Palestine before, but God told him to leave his land of uh, Ur and to go to Palestine where God had the promise for him and where he would eventually be the father of a great nation. He, he didn't have uh, GPS. He didn't have a brochure sent to him in the mail. He didn't know what this place was like, what it looked like. He just simply obeyed and he went without trusting uh, his, uh, his sight. Even his wife, Sarah, she had never seen a woman who was shriveled up and old bear a child much less a promised child like Isaac. And uh, yet it happened. And, uh, and in verse 13, it says, these all died in faith without having received the promises, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. So this is a, part of Hebrews chapter 11 that's a little difficult to understand, but I think it's important that we try to understand what it is because it really leads us to a glorious truth. These uh, heroes of the faith, in a sense, they received their promises. Abraham did receive Isaac. Isaac was born, and that did happen. Uh, he did make it to this unseen land. Uh, but he never received the uh, ultimate promise. He never really saw and experienced uh, the, the really final consummate uh, end of his promise. He, uh, and these other people are the same way. They never really uh, experienced the final thing. That would come later. The ultimate fulfillment of their promises actually came through what we are experiencing now. And that's hard to understand much less believe and we will uh, get to that hopefully here in just a little bit uh, so Abraham what's another thing that he experienced that he had never seen before another thing that he accepted by faith that he had never seen before when God told him to offer up Isaac to slay his own son uh, Abraham proceeded to do it, to almost do it, and he would have gone through it if God did not hold his hand back uh, from the angel. Uh, how did Abraham have the faith to do that? And he had, uh, he had never seen a, 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 a body resurrect, a dead body come back to life, but he, he had never, uh, he, he said, obviously, he, he thought, uh, as the writer of Hebrews interprets for us, uh, he thought, well, God's going to raise him from the dead. But Abraham had never seen anybody been raised from the dead. But he did it anyway. He offered up his son Isaac by faith and not by sight. Moses, the same way, many ways that he walked not by sight, but by 
faith. Uh, interesting thing that the writer of Hebrews points out is about how uh, Moses had never really seen and experienced what life as a real Hebrew would be like. He, he was Hebrew by blood, but he, he grew up experiencing the treasures of Egypt. So he never really seen what it was like and experienced life as a true Hebrew. And yet he uh, gave himself up toward that in order to obey God, to uh, be faithful to him and to free his people from slavery. And uh, down to verse 31, even Rahab, it might seem odd to you that Rahab the prostitute is included in this great cloud of witnesses. Um, she would never think that she would see or experience a prostitute of all people being used in the great plan of God to free his people, but she was. It reminds me of the great story of the prostitute that Jesus came upon who was being about to be stoned by her accusers as she was caught in uh, adultery. And of course, Jesus, by his profound wisdom, uh, caused them to drop their stones and go away. And he asked her, where are your accusers? And he, of course, she said, they're gone. And Jesus said, I don't accuse you either. Uh, go and sin no more. Uh, she had never experienced that. And how uh, she might think, how could this great rabbi, this great teacher, uh, show love and mercy to a prostitute. It's something that hadn't been seen, I suppose, and yet it, uh, uh, by faith, God will even use the lowest of the low uh, in our society. And uh, he, the writer of Hebrews goes on really to, and implies through this long list, that all the Old Testament saints are examples of people who lived by faith and not by sight, that they are people who believed in the promises of God and they rested in them. Resting not meaning they slept, but rested meaning they had confidence in and were comforted by the promises of God. We see, so we actually, we really do see it throughout uh, the unfolding in the Old Testament. Um, one thing that I point out when I talk about living too much by faith, as I think we do, and especially I can speak for what, what we go through in America in our day-to-day -day lives and in our culture, is that we, uh, we depend so much on th things not really being valid un unless there's a video or a picture related to it. I remember seeing children playing in a park. I was taking a walk through a park and these children had devised some kind of, some kind of go-kart or a, a, a little car that they made out of different material. And it was really creative and it was fun to watch them play in it. And they were zooming around the park in it. And one of them kind of took a little tumble, but wasn't hurt, but actually started laughing after he started tumbling around in this, contraption and he said oh i wish i had this on youtube and that happened a long time ago but that stood out to me then and it remains in my mind now because i thought why did why did why don't you just experience life as it comes why does everything have to be on youtube 
but yet that's that's what we immediately jump to is we think that everything has to be validated by having a picture made of it or being put on YouTube. Um, so we are geared to be people who validate things, it would seem, by sight. And that could be, think about it, it could be an impediment to us exercising faith. That we need to find ways to not, to gear ourselves, we need to gear ourselves, uh, draw ourselves away from depending on the senses, especially the sense of sight, so much. Uh, we're stimulated by that when we should be stimulated more by what is not seen, that we see by the eyes of our heart, that we see through the eyes of faith. Um, and uh, as we, uh, I'm looking now at verse uh, 33, as he talks about uh, some of these people, uh, these other people in the Old Testament, these champions of the faith, verse 33, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered just, uh, justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, so forth and so on. It goes on. But uh, I wanted to emphasize they, they obtained promises. They did actually experience uh, some promises being fulfilled, but they were not the ultimate fulfillment of promise. And as we skip down to verse 39, hopefully this will make sense, 39 and 40. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. So in another sense, they, they did not receive it. It was the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of their promise was coming later. And here's the really amazing thing. It came during our time, meaning the time of the church, verse 40. Since God had provided something better for us. So the writer now is shifting the emphasis to us. So that they would not be made perfect without us. So the amazing thing that happened here is that through the new covenant of the church, their ultimate promise would be fulfilled. Through Jesus bringing salvation to us all through the new covenant. Uh, then these Old Testament patriarchs, their uh, promise would finally be perfected, would be fulfilled. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit into verse 12, because I think really that, that this, uh, this section of Scripture really should be seen in context of, of a little bit of, of chapter 12, especially because we see the word therefore. So let's look at... Uh, Verse 1 in chapter 12, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter, or that might say something like the author and perfecter, or the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Um, so first of all, this is where we see that these Old Testament saints are called a great cloud of witnesses. Let's be aware that as people of faith, 
that it's not just about you as an individual. Uh, your life and faith has a lot to do with people who came before you. Uh, your responsibility, if that's a good word, uh, your uh, commitment to Christ and being faithful to him doesn't just affect you. I, maybe I'm saying the obvious here, but it affects people, uh, who long, many people who came before you. In your case at, at uh, IBCBI, um, remember that we prayed for Craig and Angie, and we prayed a long ago before the, your church even began. We prayed for the people that would be impacted by their ministry. We prayed for you uh, several years ago. And uh, just remember that remember your life in the context of other people who have come before you and remember your life. Think of your life in the context of the legacy that you live for the people who come after you, for your children, your grandchildren, your great grandchildren. Uh, don't shrink back. Don't draw back because it will have profound impacts for generations to come. Uh, but don't let that be a burden to you but let it be a joy to you to know that God can use you and is using you in uh, amazing ways for uh, uh, people you don't even know who aren't even born yet, but who are either in your, your bloodline who will come after you as far as your own family or your spiritual uh, descendants who will come after you that you will, that God will raise up spiritually. So, uh, Jesus is mentioned here as the ultimate uh, goal and the one who brings the ultimate promise to us and the, the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, what, uh, what do you remember about how you came to the faith, about how really Jesus was the one who orchestrated the things that brought you to the faith? And he is the finisher of the faith, the perfecter of it. And that is something that will happen in the future when he comes back. But the truth of that should be so glorious and radiate so much in the hope that that gives us. The hope in the coming of Jesus should shine and energize our hearts and our lives right now and empower us to uh, endure and to not give up, and to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. I remember here in America, we have the Rocky Mountains, and I guess I can compare Jesus coming back, uh, the, the, the second coming of Christ, to uh, going to the Rocky Mountains, because you can see the mountains from afar when you stay where we were. We stayed in a bed and breakfast where you could look over the plains and look maybe 30 miles away over these flat plains. And at the end, you weren't, it wasn't quite clear to you, to us what was going on, but it was, uh, we were pretty sure it was the mountains. And as we would then get in the car and drive towards this faint image, what could have been clouds or something in the horizon that we weren't sure what it was. And then, yeah, oh, as you get close, yes, you see it is 
the mountains and you can't wait to get there and you drive and you drive and you press on and the vision of those mountains would uh, and the anticipation that would come to us as we got closer and closer to them um, was a, a powerful reality that we experienced as we drove across the flat plains to get to the east side of the Rocky Mountains. And then as you approach and actually get into the mountains, it's a glory and a splendor that you can't describe. Um, it's truly amazing. And uh, Jesus's second coming, then maybe, hopefully that's a useful comparison that we can see him from a distance. We know that it's, some, it's a great thing that's going to happen, but even the anticipation of getting there, the hope of that is something that can, can and must have a profound impact on us now as we endure through life's difficulties. About to wrap up now, two final thoughts before I pray for you. Remember, number one, that this world is not our home. Um, as people of faith, we must remember that we are people of hope and we get through this world as pilgrims with a hope of our destination. Uh, do you think of yourself as a pilgrim or are you too satisfied in this life, in this world? Are you too attached to this world? We must not be too attached to this world and realize that really in a very important sense, we are aliens in a strange land, uh, we're pilgrims passing through. And uh, number two, uh, we need to understand that uh, our eyes of the flesh can deceive us. Uh, we're not to depend on what, what our eyes see, but to be people who look with the eyes of our hearts. And that's what faith is about the eyes of our heart help us to see the kingdom of God to see God at work in the, the eyes of our hearts then uh, enable us to believe uh, and trust and be confident in the promises of God to get us through thank you for getting through uh, my talk with you tonight before I, I turn it back over I want to briefly pray for you okay we do thank you, Lord, and we glory in you, and your glory is what uh, is our goal. We thank you for the promises that are given to us, and those uh, promises that we have through believing them, Lord, we find that you uh, are so delightful that we have tasted and we found that the Lord is good. We thank you that you do fulfill your promises. To your people. Teach us how not to walk by faith, uh, not to walk by sight, but to walk by faith. Uh, Lord, let us not be caught up in the lust of the flesh, in the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, but help us to learn to, to run the race uh, through this alien land, to run as pilgrims, but yet we are cheered on and motivated greatly by your word, which testifies of this great cloud of witnesses. Thank you that we have them, that through your Holy Spirit, uh, the story of their lives can transform us and that your spirit, uh, by, 
by knowing the truth of your word and these witnesses can uh, help us to endure through persecution and to do it with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I pray that for my brothers and sisters in Malaysia, uh, continue to transform them into the image of Jesus and make them a powerful testimony and make them them, themselves uh, a great cloud of witnesses in Malaysia for the truth of your gospel and the glory of God. In his name we pray. Amen.